Hello and welcome back to Redeemable. I'm your host, Josh Hornberger. Let's hop into it. Let's start things off with a simple question. What is something that you could not go without? It could be your phone or ice cream, or maybe it's Sunday night football. For many people, myself included, family is one of the first things to come to mind. Family is essential. It's the building block for society. And within the family, there are, of course, individual family members, each of which holds a specific and distinct role to play within the family unit. There is a certain and set way of doing things, and it's done for the survival of the family and the broader society. This concept of individual roles working in unison within a broader system is universal and is practiced beyond you and I and even into the animal kingdom. For instance, penguins. They're smarter than you think. Baby emperor penguins are born in the bitter cold of Antarctica. The mothers leave the colony to go fishing while the fathers are tasked with caring for the baby. The baby chicks' only chance to survive the cold is to stay in their father's brooding pouch. But when temperatures reach 40 below, even the fully grown adults won't survive alone. The colony of penguins soon starts to waddle together until they form a huddle. Their huddle continues to grow and expand until all the penguins are pressed flipper to flipper to form a massive circle in the thousands. The circle soon starts to create a wave. This happens when each father and baby waddle forward closer and closer towards the center of the circle. The penguins on the outside of the circle are shielding the colony from the cold and they slowly begin to move forward, while the ones that are in the center start to waddle backward. The penguins constantly repeat this process of rotation to contain the group's body heat, and that is because God gave the penguins the understanding that in order to survive, they must work together in unity. Today, we're going to look at the importance of just that, and read a story of how a mismatched group of people working together in unity resulted in the rebuilding of an entire city. Allow me to introduce you to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish man who was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. The story begins with some Jewish men telling Nehemiah that Jerusalem's wall had been destroyed. In those days, a nation or city's wall represented their strength. And when Nehemiah heard of the news in chapter 1 verse 4 of the book of Nehemiah, it says that he sat down and wept. And so when the king asked Nehemiah what was troubling him, Nehemiah told him the state the wall was in and asked for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild it. The king agreed and sent Nehemiah to Jerusalem with the captains of his army and a royal escort. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he scoped out the walls to see what they looked like for himself. And if we skip down to chapter 2, verse 17, we find Nehemiah rallying up the people of Jerusalem, saying, Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we'd be no more of a reproach. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. In the beginning of chapter 3, we find in extreme detail who built each part of the wall, and each person who is responsible for building specific sections. Then in chapter 4, where we're going to be reading from, Nehemiah and the builders faced opposition. Two men, Sambalot and Tobiah, 
began to ridicule and criticize the Jews for rebuilding the wall. Instead of fighting back, however, Nehemiah prayed and kept at his work. This is where our story begins, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. And it came to pass that when Sambalot and Tobiah, and the Arabians, and the Ammonites, and the Ashrodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem, and hinder it. Nevertheless we made our prayer unto our God, and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know neither see till we come into the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places, whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I rose up, and said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught that we return all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth, that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows. I'll stop there. Prior to what we just read in chapter 3, the very first person mentioned who started pitching in was the high priest of Jerusalem, one of the most respected men of the city began building a gate for the sheep. Then Uziel, the son of a goldsmith, began working on the wall, and Hananiah, the son of an apothecary, or a modern-day pharmacist, began working on the section beside of him. And Shalom, the son of the ruler of half of Jerusalem, got in and got his hands dirty. The list goes on and on as we find most of Jerusalem working together on the project. We also find that Nehemiah made the work personal, and that each person was responsible for building the section of the wall that was closest to their home. That way, the wall is strong and built with good quality. Nehemiah managed to unify people of different trades and status together for the benefit of all. But how exactly does this old story of Jewish people rebuilding a wall have to do with us today? Well, I believe that if we each apply the lessons from this story, it could directly improve your relationships and even your life. So let's break this down. We must understand that being unified does not mean being the same. God gave each of us different strengths and weaknesses. Like for me, I'm horrible at math. I would stay after school to get extra help with my math teachers just about every other day for junior year of high school. Although, I really do enjoy English. I like writing short fictional stories, but never seem to have the time to go back and finish them. But God, God gave each of us a unique gift or talent. For some, it may be a musical ability. 
I have a friend who writes and creates his own songs with his guitar. Your gift may be your confidence and the ability to lead others to a common goal. Or you might have the gift to talk, and you have the ability to compel others to listen to what you have to say. But the question is, what are you going to do with your gifts? With Nehemiah, we saw that each person under his leadership had a specific background, and each person had a specific part of the wall to build. Each unique person had one unique part to play in restoring the wall. You might ask, well, what are we building in this analogy? We are building up the kingdom of heaven. We're expanding its population, but that requires everyone to play their individual part. You can look at building the kingdom of heaven through different types of ministry. One could be in charge of the southeast section through small group Bible studies. Another could be responsible for the west section with evangelism. And someone else could build the north section with praise. You see, we may each have a different job, but we're all unified together under Christ. Moving on to my next point. If you're building something up, you should always expect that someone wants to tear it down. In chapter 4, that someone would be Sambalot and Tobiah. Now, Sambalot was the governor of Samaria, north of Judea. Sambalot's anger is likely to reside from his political hopes being dismantled by Nehemiah's arrival. So, Sambalot and his accomplice Tobiah began to disdain the idea that the Jews were regaining their defenses. And they tried to divide the workers apart. Instead of dealing with the issue himself, which is probably what I would have done if I was Nehemiah, he prayed, gave the situation up to God, and continued working on the wall. Sambalat and Tobiah did not care for this too much, and so they conspired with the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Asodites against the Jews, until there was a massive angry army ready to destroy Jerusalem and its people. The very next verse 9 reads, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. In an act of strong leadership, Nehemiah went around the city and spoke to the Jews, saying, Do not be afraid. Remember the provisions of the Lord. He then armed them with swords and spears and told them to fight for each other if need be. Nehemiah then instructed that half the workers pick up their weapons to stand guard and protect the other half of the people who continued to build. Leadership is another fundamental key that is required for any efficient work to be completed. But even through great leadership, it is pretty obvious to me that given the circumstances, the Israelites must have been terrified. Over their partially built wall, they could see a multitude surrounding them, ready to attack. But instead of running away, the Jews put their trust to God and united together and continued to build. And God took care of the situation. In verse 15 it reads, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, God had brought their counsel to naught. Meaning to me, what likely happened was, God created a disagreement or a misunderstanding during their planning, in which resulted with no one attacking the Jews. And so, the Jewish builders broke into two, half guarding the wall and the other half continuing to build. The Jews became unified as soldier and builder. The guards stood all day and all night as the builders finished the wall, until finally, in chapter 6, the two-mile-long wall that wrapped around the city 
was completed in just 52 days. Restoring the holy city of Jerusalem was no easy task. It was only when God's people united together were they able to build the wall and defend it, all for the glory of God. Here's what you should take away from all that. If you're doing the Lord's work and building up the kingdom of heaven, the prince of this world, the devil, will try and tear it down. In our story, we find that Sambalot did not like the idea of God's people reuniting and rebuilding the holy city. And so he began to mock and ridicule the people. And when that didn't work, he brought an entire army. So what did the Jewish people do? They unified and prayed. As a Christian, you know that there is power in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. It is how you make your request known to God. It's how you talk to Him. It's how you request for patience and strength when you're being mocked and criticized for your faith. Pray first, just as Nehemiah did. Try not to respond back in confrontation. I know that goes against everything about being human, but instead of fighting back, give it to God and watch what He does with it. This requires faith, what we talked about last episode. You might ask, well, Josh, what if the Sambalot in my life persists and now he's brought an army with him? Just like the Jews did thousands of years ago, you must also prepare. You must pick up your sword and shield. Ephesians 6 verse 16 reads, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your offense is the Word of God, and your defense is your faith in God. You must be placing your faith that God will fight for you and protect you. You must also know the truth, and that comes from knowing and studying the Word of God. Prepare yourself in the Word of God. When people ridicule you for your beliefs, be prepared to quote scripture that will remind you and protect you from the sandblots in your life. You know, a team requires unity. If you're not aware, the Chiefs are my favorite NFL team. And the reason why the Chiefs win games is because they have an amazing quarterback, great receivers, their coach Andy Reid is a phenomenal leader. But more broadly, the Chiefs win because they are unified as offense and defense. Their jobs may be completely different from each other, but they both have the same goal, to win. This concept can be applied to so many different things, like marriage. When two people who love each other come together in marriage, they vow to each other that for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in health, I will love you and I will take you as my spouse till death do us part and their love will unify them. The United States of America is titled the United States, but are we broadly unified? Americans don't all speak the same language, we don't all believe the same things, and we don't all have faith. We are not all unified. When America was founded on July 4, 1776, the Founding Fathers decided that we would be unified under God. You could find evidence of this in the preamble. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Americans were granted amendment rights such as freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and the right to bear arms. But all were united together under the law and under God. Fast forward to now. The United States isn't so united anymore. One thing people just always seem to forget is that it's okay to have different ideas and opinions than others. Famous French historian and philosopher Voltaire once said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. This concept should more broadly be implemented into our nation's political realm. Democrat and Republican members, despite the many differences, we must remember that we are both American. Because today, due to political temperatures, many people are unified to destroy. But we need to be unified to build up again, just as Nehemiah and the Jews did. Their broken and burned wall left their city vulnerable and their people were distraught, until they unified as one and built back up their city. America must do the same. The real problem is, we have pushed God out of our country. If you would like to hear a perfect example of this, look up DNC 2020 Pledge of Allegiance. Now, the way I learned the pledge in school was, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Right? But if you listen to this video, you'll find in two different instances, Two political caucus speakers intentionally leave the words under God out of the pledge. And since we're taking out under God, we might as well take out the next word too, indivisible. Because without God, we are not indivisible. Without God, we are divisible. President Ronald Reagan said it best. If we forget we are one nation under God, then we are one nation down under. I remember this one time me and the boys were handing out Bible tracts. A multitude of people were walking up and down the boardwalk, and we were just each scattered in different parts of the crowd, and most people weren't taking the tracts. After offering them out to people for about four hours and being told no thanks by everyone who walked by, it got a little disheartening. It wasn't until later that night when all nine of us stood in one line across the boardwalk. Half the team faced the flow of people coming from the right, and the other faced the people coming from the left. And the people just filtered through our line. We called it the Jesus Wall. We weren't pressuring anyone that they must take a track, but everyone that night had to make a decision if they wanted to learn about the salvation that Jesus offers. Hundreds of people took and read the Bible tracks that night, but it wasn't until we unified, standing together, that people actually became interested with what we were giving out. And what we were giving out was the truth. And because the most important decision in your life is whether you will be unified with God or with the world, you need to face that truth and make a decision. And I hope you make the right one. Revelations 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. If you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you turn from your sins, repent, and trust in Him, you will be saved, and you will be united in Christ. Jesus unifies, and Satan divides. Christians, 
Now is the time to rise and unify. Now is the time to pray and be prepared. Now is the time to pick up your shield of faith and your sword of the Spirit and stand together. In America, now is the time to find your personal section of the broken cities and disadvantaged schools and communities and begin to rebuild. And now is the time to welcome God back into our country. The Bible verse for today is Psalms 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And remember, you are custom made, you are loved, and you are redeemable.